0: Everyone, welcome to this new podcast, Luxury Insight in collaboration with FashionNetwork.com. Today we are very happy to welcome Helen Lambert. Helen is the CEO of Lambert and Associates and she recently founded a new digital platform called The Style Pulse, which she's going to describe today. So get ready and have an amazing podcast.
1: Good day everyone. This is Godfrey Dini, uh, Global Editor in Chief of Fashion Network, here today with Helen Lambert. Kennedy. <laughs> Nice to see you. Um, Helene's had a brilliant career in fashion, working for magazines initially and then taking over the uh, most important buying office in Paris, the the capital of fashion unquestioned, and uh, developing that dealing with major department stores and and big boutiques and playing a key role, a fulcrum role in in buying and retailing it fashion and then finally she has a recent project called the uh, Style Pulse which is a very innovative uh, sort of online wholesale fashion platform. But let's um, uh, uh, begin at the beginning Uh, and uh, how did you ever get into fashion in the first place?
0: Hi Godfrey, firstly nice to see you this afternoon this rainy day that's it's sort of a long story but growing up in Ireland in the countryside I always dreamed about colour and dresses and the beauty of Paris and once I'd done my studies I headed to Paris ASAP Uh and started very luckily started to work in advertising initially with the Herald Tribune which was a nice foot in the door to Paris because it was all bilingual everybody spoke English and during that time I was able to improve my French, but continue to grow and learn. So going on from there, I went to work with uh, El Magazine to go a little bit faster and then grew into that position where I was overseeing um, 34 El's around the world for their advertising and we also took care of El Décor. So this really gave me a huge opportunity to learn all about the luxury business because obviously coming from Ireland we didn't have that kind of luxury at all and being in Paris the capital of fashion and it be perfume or, or home design everything was at your doorstep so it was a fantastic learning curve for me and it permitted me to meet a lot of extraordinary people from Yves Carcel to the Sydney Toledanos and all these different people in the world of fashion and luxury. And from there, I moved on to buying the buying office, um, which was the biggest one in Europe at that time. And it had offices in Paris, London, Milan, and Florence, and a small office in New York. And after taking that over, I restructured the business and we brought it forward to be much more of a consultancy business. But the whole idea of that the buying office is initially started in the 60s where it was people on the ground in Europe buying for the big department stores in America. So that's what we did for quite a long time. We worked with people like Neiman Marcus, Bergdorf Goodman, but we also worked a little bit later on with Lane Crawford. We worked also with uh, Holt Renfrew and for example, even a business like Lane Crawford was, it was very exciting for us because they weren't known on the market back in the day. So we opened many doors for them and, you know, we were the intermediary always. Um, we were mandated by the retailer, but in fact, we were sourcing and finding new product, new exciting product that would work well for our customers. So we did that across all um, categories. So from fashion to niche beauty products, perfume products, uh, accessories, of course, and then some home design and jewellery and Epicure. So it was quite quite an interesting time because... You know, it'd be the, the United States or Canada, everybody was still coming to Europe looking for newness and looking for luxury, because luxury is really born and brought up here. So that was quite an interesting time for us. And with me, I had quite a team of experts that were very interesting young, young people that worked in all of the offices.
1: Well, just say, when you say you were buying for them, well, you weren't placing the orders? No, correctly? we
0: weren't actually placing the orders, but we were doing all the sourcing for them in advance. And then once they placed the order, we would we would actually, we could actually negotiate for them as well. But once oh. they placed the order, we could actually oh. do all the follow-up once the orders were placed oh. to getting the freight forwarder and having oh. it in their stores a few weeks later, or, or weeks later, once the manufacturing was actually done. Did
1: you ever have an idea or calculation of how much... People spent through your office in Paris At one in any stage, given year or yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. At
0: one stage, we had probably hundred and fifty million going through the office wholesale. Oh. So if you multiply that by the markup, oh. it was quite a lot of money, and it was it was yeah it was really it was really exciting. We really had a value on the market from that point. So of you view. So you were
1: kind of the eyes and ears of the of, of those, those department, department stores when mm-hmm. they they were uh, the biggest buyers in the world.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And for example, um, Alia went through our office back in the day. Christian Louboutin, um, you know, all of those people that became extremely well known around the world, and may may not have been as known in France at the time, but became became really famous when they hit the re- the other side of the world.
1: Uh, did um, and did you feel that part of your remit was to s- discover people for these?
0: To discover people, have a real understanding of what our client was looking for, have an understanding also of what the customer was looking for as time went on. and you know, Because these customers are very well-off and their, their wishes change quite easily. But they're mainly a luxury customer and they're usually people that will spend a lot of money and, and across the board. It won't just be fashion, it'll be jewellery, it'll be home, it'll be everything. So it's very high-end
1: we've seen how the whole industry changed with the internet how did that affect uh, how did you see it affected initially when was the first signs that was affecting the business model of the big department stores um,
0: i think it started to happen gradually but obviously with the push of internet and with e-commerce that was starting those who You know, who decided to have their e-commerce sites early on, or those who've done, you know, a little better. Um, But it it definitely began to change. I think probably also after the crisis in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, the customers. The customers, as we would know them, the customers of these department stores, also became much more savvy in what they wanted to buy. And I think that was the beginning of, you know, okay, it was being bought in Europe. And, you know, I think we all remember as well at that time, prices were increasing very rapidly for the actual product. And when it was shipped to the other side of the world, it was expensive. So those customers that were very high end and had, you know, very big means they also wanted to make sure that they were buying quality and they weren't going to be, you know, you weren't going to pull the wool over their eyes anymore. And those people also were able to read a lot more. They were more educated about what they wanted to have and what was coming out of Europe or elsewhere.
1: Okay. Um, do you think that, um, you know, when you talk to luxury executives in Chanel or Dior or Fendi or places... Um, you know, they're all very hesitant still to go into the web, a lot of those brands. But, you know, eventually they all have in various forms, either on online retailing or their own, or, or collaborations, or, or even through department stores. Um, but most of them seem to think that, the, you know, at the end of the day, they st- still, in another 20 years, the majority of their business will be through their their well-placed chain of boutiques and locations and key shopping streets. Do you think that's right?
0: I think those who have now committed to e-commerce, they, you know, the, the, the brands, the luxury mm. brands, they were, you're right, they were hesitant for a long time, thinking that they couldn't give that VIP treatment. No. But we've all seen, you oh. know, since lockdown, click and collect. Oh. I mean, people are buying, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars worth Mm -hmm. of jewelry and picking it up on the side on the curb (laughs) so I mean it is happening Um, I think it will remain important that the those brands have fabulous stores in key key areas but there has to be more than you know it's about the service it's about what they can also offer to that customer? How can they make them more loyal? What can they do? Because I think that's probably one of the biggest problems with the e-commerce is how do you maintain this customer? And as the customer today has a lot of choice to go from one place to another, how can you make that customer loyal? And that's the big challenge. And I feel they feel they can own that more when the customer crosses the doorstep to come into them. Mm If that makes sense. No,
1: I get that. I get that. Where do you see the future of department stores? Will they always exist, or is this is are they a bit like newspapers? You know, uh, uh, you know, there there probably will be a New York Times in another twenty years, but uh, you know, there may not be ten English newspapers. Where where do you think going?
0: That's a very very good question. they're not going to disappear completely. No. Let's face it, there's a hell of a lot of real estate and a no. lot of dollars and thousands no. of millions and millions of dollars behind all of that. No. But I do think it is a time where they need to turn their ships, no. that things need to, they need to speed up, they need to embrace more digital, mm. they need to, you know, the way the way they manage probably their businesses is, is going to be forced to change. I think we're seeing um, these multi brand stores that are are growing very quickly and they don't have to be huge but we're we're seeing them sprouting up and they're they're immediately wanting to deliver something newer and fresher to the customer and I think one of the big problems with a lot of the department stores today is we have a lot of the same product in all the department stores. Mm. So it's, you know, and you know, you travel, and we're not traveling at the moment, but when we do travel, we always think it'd be nice to bring back something new, but you travel to Tokyo or to New York or to Shanghai. It's the same everywhere. And it's a little unfortunate because all of those, you know, they lost their identity. So so department stores, they'll continue to exist, but I think they're going to be challenged to move faster, to to bring back more newness and more diversity into the stores okay. and then with that of course continuing to maintain a good relationship with their with their customers, with their final customers.
1: I see increasingly as an editor, uh, I, I judge things of what comes in my uh, inbox, What what is being pushed upon me because half the stories I write ultimately or releases information coming in, events organised rather than us creating them. Um, one thing that strikes me is uh, never-ending, daily, multiple emails on collaborations. And, um, you know, it seems to be the business model completely in now. Why do you think that is?
0: I think it was a good way for, for both brands and either stores to to have freshness and without going the full hog maybe of taking on a new designer, but to do things with the designer. To create something specific, but then move on and do another collaboration with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the freshness; it's engaging with different, you know, reaching out to different customers, and making it a little bit more fun and happening. Mm-hmm. So with a collaboration, you can pick somebody who's really hot today, and that will that will carry you for some time. And uh, you pick somebody else.
1: Okay. Now, um, uh, you started a new venture. It's yes. Called uh, very innovative. Called the Style Pulse. Talk. Tell us about that.
0: Okay, the Style Pulse that has been you know in our minds already for probably three years. We've been working on it for two and a half, and we opened this summer. So the Style Pulse is actually a tool for buyers, retailers, a global sourcing tool. It is a tool in order for the buyers and retailers to prepare their buying sessions or seasons or, or whatever you want to call it. And it is something that we have been, as I said, thinking about and, and, and wanting to get moving, but we finally opened now this summer. Um, I think what was very important is it's more or less doing what we were doing, it, but making it digital and opening up to a lot more stores around the world. Um, With that, I think what's important is that it's subscription-based, so the retailer buys in. It's quite confidential. We have today 4,500 brands on our database and that's across the board. So it's all categories that we, we have been working with in the past, we continue to work with. So it'd be fashion, Home design, epicure, jewelry, women's wear, men's wear, and children's. So, so as I said, we've you know four thousand five hundred brands today, mm-hmm. and the buyer can come on there and find newness, freshness. He can control what he sees. He can have a good control of the work he wants to do with a vendor. Um, I think also what's important is the brands that we have selected, we have curated, do not pay to be on our site. This is where we differentiate from other sites, like for example. There, for
1: instance, there's that site Jour. Yes. Is, uh, so
0: the site Jour would be more the back end of the business. It's once the buyer has actually, once they do the buy and they complete their orders, that goes. It's more technological Jour. Where Whereas ours, the Style Pulse, is really showing the newness, having something that's very easy to navigate, something that's quite aesthetically beautiful for the buyer. And he can also really get a good good understanding of the identity of this vendor that we have picked, this designer that we've picked. So they also have the possibility of downloading the line sheets. They have the possibility of seeing the latest lookbooks. And that's something, obviously, that is updated every few months once there's a new collection. So all the pricing is up there. And something that's important, very important, is that we give our take on the site. So each brand that we have, we give our idea why we've picked them, what's the best thing about them, if they're sustainable or not. Then we also give the pricing, which is wholesale. We give the list of stockists. So all of that really permits the buyer to be ready when they go into market.
1: Uh, Why do you think it'll work?
0: I think it'll work because today, I think we all see there's so many brands out there. There's Mm -hmm. so many, there's a sea of brands. Mm -hmm. And this really helps the the buyers to have an edited, Mm -hmm. what can I say, an edited choice. This is what we've always prided ourselves on. We've always been finding brands that will correspond to retailers. So it is really our DNA. That's what we do best. Mm And I think with that we have we have the know-how we have the know-how to do that.
1: The um, uh, we're continually being surprised in changes in uh, online retailing. Will you be working with online retailers or yes. as well? Yeah. Yes,
0: yes, We can definitely be working with online retailers. Uh,
1: but we've seen um, uh, the industry have a whole series of successes, not just net a or matches or. There's as a land up and down the, the, the scale. In, uh, in
0: Canada, we've got Essence, which is doing very well.
1: Essence, uh, you also the thing I, I've grown to be interested in Vestiaire Collective, which of
0: course, is of course, reused, vintage, reused, whatever, reused, yeah. whatever
1: term you want you to use. The argument is like there's just this giant reserve of, of high quality luxury available to be to reused, um, uh, but the one recent step which struck everyone I think obviously was the idea that um, rival groups like Caring, um, Richmond, Wynap and, and, and uh, Farfetch, three of the four rivals, would all link together. How do you think that will work with Alibaba, of course, even the biggest element in a way, but um, do you think that was inevitable in order to protect quality retailing from the invasion of Amazon?
0: I think, I think yes, that's one of, the, one of the big reasons. I think definitely they're trying to protect themselves because as we've seen as well about two months ago that Amazon also wants to go into the luxury yeah. area. So, and then it's to do with market share. When you get all the big giants like that clubbing together, it will definitely help to maybe keep somebody else a little bit further back. But it's an interesting take because as you said, they were all rivals, but maybe they can meet on one particular you know, point. And and work from there. We'll we'll see. Let's see.
1: Amazon has has begun uh, very slowly. Really, they launched the luxury store with only one brand, the uh, Oscar Laurenta, and they barely added any more until this week. I see my my friend Ellie Saab has now joined quite actively. But still, why do you think they've been so slow? Do you think brands still hesitate to go into get into bed with Amazon?
0: Yes, I think brands are probably still a little hesitant, and I think that you know we we're all seeing that amazon has done also super well during covid uh-huh. so it's just such a big big machine and there's so much power behind it and there's so much you know it's it's just huge so yes i think brands will want to be a part of it down the road but i guess right now they're still a little hesitant and people have you know, the idea, well, it was just maybe your grocery shopping to start with or a home oh. home tools that you needed or whatever. But it's, you know, it's going to be much bigger than that.
1: Um, this series podcast is all about change in, in, in fashion and luxury. What do you expect to be the next big change or changes?
0: Well, I think, firstly, the big change right now, I mean, we had all come to a point in this luxury industry, it had, it seemed to have gone too far and the machine was breaking. But I think, you know, people had started to look at it in different ways. We ourselves had started to imagine our own digital platform three years ago, as I said. But in actual fact, I think the arrival of COVID has pushed us all further to really make the decisions that need to be made now in 2020 and to be ready for 2021. I think that you know after every big pandemic things change and we won't be going back to the same format that we had how we lived how we travelled, so on and so forth and the fact even with our platform buyers were traveling all the time that had also become a problem buyers were traveling all the time it was endless collections and I think today people are standing back, they can do part of it you know, through Zoom, not all of it, but they can do part of it. Oh. And I think now people are really going to be, you know, I see another big change is the sustainability, what's been happening over the last few months, even since the first lockdown to this lockdown. <laughs> and the products that are coming out now, people were missing things when they were more at home and they thought they wanted to do things differently. So it's, this, is, this is life changing. This is life changing. This COVID, what has pushed us to do, the fact that we won't travel in the same manner anymore. We'll be, we'll be thinking about it, the carbon footprint, sustainability. There's a lot of things that are gonna happen.
1: One thing that surprises me uh, permanently uh, after 30 years in the business uh, and having traveled to fashion weeks in Beijing, Tokyo, Sao Paulo and Sydney, as well as you know the big four here in, in Europe and, and, and New York. Um, is how it's still very Eurocentric and New York-centric, the luxury industry, the brands. And there haven't really been really, you know, uh, many that or any really in a funny way have really emerged as major designers or major players or major... Why do you think that is? And do you think that will remain the case?
0: I think, firstly, Europe had that dna had that savoir faire will there be other luxury brands elsewhere yes i think down the road there will be europe has we all know economically it's been difficult for the last few years there's no doubt but we still have that savoir faire and the the customer will still come to europe for that but i wouldn't be surprised in five ten years china can't do you know something like this in a different manner, it might be because even what we're looking at in the fashion world or, or luxury today, what is luxury and what will luxury be to the young people of tomorrow? Mm. Will it be technologically based? Will it be a mix of technological you know, uh, fabrics with beautiful fabrics? Th- there's going to be more change. There's going to be more change. And I think, yeah, why not? Why not?
1: We well, have a young audience of people who wanted to work in fashion. I'm going to end by asking you a little bit about what would your advice be to a young woman or young man who wanted a career in fashion or in retail or in buying?
0: I think today it's important to have a wide background. It's important to be able to go niche, but we need to be able to be flexible and adaptable. I think all industries, as I said, in any case, they're in flux. The fashion industry will continue to change. Luxury industry will change. But any young person, they need, you know, good solid background in their studies. They need to be passionate about what they're doing. They need to give it time. But I think the adaptability is gonna be key in the coming years. And it's gonna be, if you can be rapid to get into something and try something, fail fast, get to the next thing if you need to fail fast. But I think that's gonna be key.
1: Hello her. <laughs> it's been nice talking to you.
0: Nice talking to you too. Thank you, Godfrey.